Welcome to the Next Level Leaders Podcast with me, Dr. Joseph Walker. This podcast is designed to offer strategies and moving vision to reality. Leaders can expect to be mentored, inspired, and challenged to succeed at the next level. So prepare to be exposed, empowered, and equipped for excellence. Thank you for connecting and allowing this space to become an opportunity for growth and collaborative learning. Now, let's go on this journey together and spark the change we wish to see in ourselves, our teams, and the world. Well, hi, welcome to Next Level Leaders Podcast. I'm Dr. Joseph Walker III, and I certainly thank you so much for tuning in to Next Level Leader Podcast. All of you who listen to us every single week, we appreciate you so much. This is the place where you get empowerment, encouragement, and even expose you to some of the greatest thought leaders and folks who've experienced some amazing stories in their lives and are willing to share those with us to help uh, leaders become better. All of us become better when leaders become better. I want to thank all of you so much for sharing this podcast with folks. And of course, wherever you download podcasts, make sure you let folks know how you downloaded it and share it with them. We really appreciate the comments and uh, we thank all of you so much. And following us even on Instagram, follow me at Joseph Walker 3 and let me know that you're being blessed by this podcast. Today, I'm excited to share with you a very interesting subject that I believe that uh, will be beneficial to many of us who've ever experienced any level of trauma or abuse from trusted sources. And uh, today, my guest is uh, Dilicia Hampton Barner. Uh, she is a social worker. She uh, has a very interesting background and uh, helping folks even from a clinical perspective work through a variety of issues as it relates to uh, how folks have historically viewed post-traumatic stress and how folks have been able to navigate that just in terms of their own personal trauma. And today's subject is going to be one that's going to be really enlightening for all of us. And I hope that you can tune in, stay connected, because this one's going to be a game changer for many of you. Dialicia, thank you for being a part of Next Level Leader Podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for providing a platform for this subject. Um, it's one that you don't see a lot of Black Christian leaders lean into. So, I, you know, just to give you some accolades for being willing to talk about this. Well, I certainly appreciate that. And of course, tell us a little about who you are. Tell us about, before I get to the story, because I'm going to dig deep, you know that. And of course, yeah. tell us about who you are and, uh, and what you do. Okay, so you got it right. I am a social worker. I'm actually a licensed clinical social worker, and I own a private practice, which is here in Nashville. But right now, as we all know, most things are virtual, so I'm actually seeing clients virtually. I work with clients who suffer from interpersonal trauma, and that could be a variety of different things, as you said. So some of my clients have mother-daughter dysfunction. Others might have toxic friendships um, that they're trying to recover from. Others may have experienced some abusive work environments. So it's just a variety of things. Like when we think of trauma, sometimes we consider like a car accident. And I'm having flashbacks from the fact that I got hit, you know, or something of that nature. But trauma really is, you know, even more expansive than that. And that's what I do is try to raise awareness about exactly what PTSD means and all of the many experiences that we overlook sometimes that are making us show up in the world the way that we are. So really just helping people explore their past and, you know, try and be their best selves. Yeah. So I want to get right to this because I think my interest in having you on was to really talk transparently about something you've been very honest about. And that is, mm -hmm. you know, about uh, an experience you encountered while in church. 
mm-hmm. in a church growing up. Not Mount Zion Baptist Nashville, thank God. But, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think there's this idea that people have their own assumptions about what cults are. We have this idea based on Hollywood, Jim Jones, and, you know, all of this, and we don't realize that, you know, there's really a different, broader understanding of cultic behavior and churches and abuse. And so I want you to just talk transparently and tell the story of how you got involved into that particular church at what age and some of the things that began to happen, then I'll just dive in and just, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. Okay, perfect. So to tell my part of the story, I have to go back a little bit uh, further than that even to before I was born. Uh, my mom, she grew up in very traumatic household. Her mom ended up leaving her at the age of 13 and she took care of six siblings. And along the way, without having a maternal figure, you know, we all have that desire to be connected in that way. So she ended up meeting a lady that later became an apostle. And this lady introduced her to Christ when she was younger and they lost contact with one another. And then when I was in my teenage years, they started to reconnect. And by this time, the lady owned several churches up and down the East Coast. So that's how we even got connected to it is that, you know, my mom trusted this person. It was somebody that she had came to Christ with and, you know, had spent a little bit of time talking about her past with this lady knew her. So when I was 15, we started going to this church and we lived in Virginia And there was a church, a branch of the church that was about 15 minutes away from our home, but we got assigned to a church in North Carolina. So we would drive on Wednesdays and Sundays about an hour and 30 minutes there and then back because we were assigned to that church. So that's what the first alarming thing is, because how do you get assigned to a location that, you know, puts you in such an inconvenient position? There'll be times on Wednesday nights where, you know, Bible study is at seven And, you know, we don't get home until like 10, 11 o'clock at night. And we as kids, like me and my siblings had to go to school. So I think that would have been the first red flag is that, you know, being put in that type of position. But as time went on, just noticing the use of God as a weapon. And that's what I love to kind of describe spiritual abuse as, because I think that that's a very layman's way of interpreting it. And people can really understand what that means. But in addition to the round trip, four hours that, you know, we pretty much had to spend traveling to church. We also had to give tithes without having a steady income. And, you know, you know that tithes is 10% of your income. My mom wasn't really in a position where she always had a job, but the ability to bless the church was seen as synonymous with like earning your spot in heaven. So, you know, there were times where my mom had to give beyond what she actually had. Um, Also, asking permission for personal decisions. Like I recall being in college at a certain point in my matriculation through the ministry and on Sundays having to go to the pastor, well, she was an apostle, but to go to the apostle and ask her if I could visit certain friends and family. Um, When it came to me picking what school to go to, they had to know what my choices were and really oversee the process of determining if I would be able to or not. So I ended up getting accepted to Howard University Wanted to go there, but they said that it was too far away and that the devil would get me, basically. So I was then allowed to go to a school that was about 15 minutes from my house. And I could stay on campus because I was one of the kids that they weren't, you know, particularly worried about because I was relatively obedient. So they allowed me to go there. And then what I did in exchange was recruit 
members to come back and forth to the church. I was really uh, popular in the spiritual sector on campus. So I led a Bible study group. I was also um, in the choir. I can't sing, but I was in the choir. Um, So, you know, I had a a really good position like in the spiritual community on campus and they would send a van every Sunday to pick myself and other students that I got. Um, Also, like we had to refrain from eating or drinking food or beverages that were produced by companies that weren't led by spirit-filled believers. So one that comes to mind is the drink. I think it's called Yoohoo or Yahoo. It's like a chocolate yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we were we were banned from banned from drinking that because apparently I don't even know who owns the company, but whoever owned the company was not Christian. We couldn't go to the movies. Um, that was like basically making your position in hell because the movies was you know that's too much. Uh, we also couldn't go on social media, so nobody was allowed to have Facebook profiles. Um, I don't think any of the other social media networks were out. That was probably in the age of like transitioning from MySpace to Facebook, but we weren't allowed to do that. Um, We also couldn't really have social interactions with people who were unwilling to at least visit the church and then eventually join. So after I ended up leaving and I was the first person in my family to do so, but after I left, a lady came out and she'd been married to her husband for over 20 years. They had four or five kids, if I can remember correctly. And she actually admitted that they had arranged her marriage. And, you know, when I started to realize things like that were going on in the church, I looked at like the age range of men that were available. And I was like, oh God, I don't want to marry any of these people. (laughs) So, you know, it just, continual aggression really like you know using your spiritual vulnerability against you what age did you at what point did something click for you like was it when you were a teenager or was it when you got Mm -hmm. to college at what point like tell me about your awakening that moment when you realized something is absolutely dysfunctional here that's the first question the second question what did you do about it so when i realized that something was wrong like i said i i had a very big position in the spiritual community at school on campus. And I would see so many students that seemed to love God just as much as I did, but they seemed freer than I was. And, you know, when I would go home, like there were times where I wouldn't even study for tests. I would just be like, you know, God is going to take care of this. I'm going to read my Bible tonight and watch, you know, some sermon or something of that nature. And I would even write on, the top of test in college, a prayer, just in hopes that like my teacher who sees this will be spirit filled like I am and give me an A. So these were the kind of things that I did as a result of the really dogmatic teachings that I received from there. So realizing that like I have this very structured life that is extremely performance based and how I understand God and how I understand his ability to love me. And everybody else that I'm looking at on campus, in the choir, in the Bible study group, they don't seem to be as burdened as as I do. So I think that's where something clicked in that I really, you know, envied the freedom that they had, the ability that they had to balance their lives and livelihood with loving God. And I didn't, I didn't have that. My life was literally all church. I even at one point, you know, I went in and I threw away every, because they said, you know, you shouldn't wear anything if you can't wear it to church. So, and that doesn't make sense, you know, because churches, some churches are very formal in the the ways that they dress and ours was one of those. So I went in my closet one day and threw away absolutely everything that could not be worn, you know, according to what the church attire was. So, you know, my life was consumed by this. Wow. And so, 
Talk to me about like the confrontation. Like who did you confront? What did you say? Or did you just bounce? Like, did you really address it? As yeah, okay. Let's talk about that. So I went to church the following Sunday, um, you know, just to kind of see, am I right? Like, is there going to be any confirmatory experiences? And I did go and everything seemed weird. Like I was disgusted that I'd even been a part of it because it's like my eyes have been open. And when you know better, you do better. So I saw everything with a clear lens at that point. And I remember that Sunday, um, there was a family and the guy, it was a woman and um, a man, they were husband and wife, and they had multiple kids. I I believe it was about seven children, if I'm not mistaken. And he had to ask if he could take a promotion at work. And they told him no. And I, you know, I couldn't fathom why you see that someone has multiple mouths to feed, why that isn't something that you would say yes to or why that person even has to ask you. So just like recognizing that it seemed as if they were trying to make us more and more dependent upon them was, you know, extremely eye-opening. And then just looking back at everything they'd sort of done to groom us, like, you know, give us the down payment for a car and really the way that they sucked our family into the system that they created. So I saw that that Sunday. And after that, I didn't come back. And they wondered where I was. So they contacted my mom and she told them that I had left. And then the pastor. So there's an apostle that's over all the churches, self-appointed apostle, by the way, but nonetheless, she has pastors that are under her that um, manage every branch of the church. So the pastor that was over our branch, she called me and she, you know, really nice. She was like, Muffin, and that's my nickname, Muffin, you're going to shipwreck in life if you don't come back to this church. We're the only one preaching the gospel. I really, you know, I just want to warn you that you're going in the wrong direction and that you're not going to succeed at anything you do. And I, you know, very nicely said back, I used to believe that, but now I don't. And, you know, I don't know what things are going to look like moving forward, but I don't believe that I'll shipwreck. And, you know, I I didn't go back since then. And my family, they stayed for a little while longer. Um, And... Some issues happened with my siblings where my sister, at one point, she was just sitting down in church one day and, you know, playing with her phone as a 14-year-old would do and wouldn't stand when everybody else stood in church and they attempted to perform an exorcism on her. So those were the kinds of things that happened. And my brother got kicked out of church one time. He was in the, um, the sound ministry and, you know, the guys are back there joking and stuff and they kicked him out for doing that. So, you know, they ran a tight shift. And I think after my mom saw like, this is impacting all of my children. I got to get out of here. And she did end up leaving. Wow. So, you know, I think one of the things that I think is, is critical in this conversation, you know, I think is really discovering is, you know, what do you identify as the points of access to folks who want mm-hmm. to, you know, kind of abuse folks in this area? Obviously, that you talked about motherlessness, you know, from your mom and right. the needing mothering and et cetera. And I think, you know, when you think about it today, you know, if they're preying on a particular weakness, which could be, you know, the need to be affirmed, could be a financial mm-hmm. need you have. There's all these different lures, like luring in a, a fish, you know, these different bases right. of water. Uh, you know, what would you, what would you say to someone who may be in a situation like this or know someone in a situation like this, what would you say to them in terms of a, kind of a path forward of, uh, of kind of getting out of it and uh, not only just getting out of it physically, but also getting out of it emotionally because that's what I want to go to next. 
Right. I mean, it is very emotional and psychological. Like that, I mean, that's purely the reasons that they're able to trap you into this. And as you said, it does have a lot to do with vulnerabilities, you know, and it's very comparative to like domestic violence literature. So what would make someone susceptible to a DV relationship is generally the same sort of uh, risk factors for spiritual abuse. So knowing that is important. I would also say just looking for warning signs, like generally someone who is being spiritually abused is probably going to express a devotion, not just to their deity, but to the the church, you know, and to the, and all of us have a devotion to our church, of course, but, you know, on a spectrum, a side of the spectrum that is abnormal. And they might actually express fear or anxiety about what the deity might do if they, you know, sin, quote unquote, you know, like whatever their definition of sin is. Because for hours, it was going to the movies with sin, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, they also might go along with everything that the leader says to do. Um, checking in often with leadership to report their doings and whereabouts, which, you know, would be necessary if you're like working for the church and you have an assignment that you're trying to complete. But if you're just a member, you know, I don't call you bishop and say like, hey, I'm about to go out of town this weekend. Can I do it? But that often, that check and balance system is often in place with those um, types of churches. Also being restricted from seeing families and friends or family and friends. Um, that happens a lot. Like I said, if people weren't involved in the ministry, we, you know, really were taught to view them as feel sorry for them because they haven't gotten the awakening yet. You know, like all your family and friends that aren't here are going to hell and it's your job to either save them. And if they're not going to receive that, then you just have to detach from them. You also might notice that the person has major personality changes. So what I love to call that is whitewash. So, you know, all of us have a personality and then generally when we're being abused, we're going to do what the person who's abusing us wants us to do. So even for myself, it was like, you know, I remember one time going up to the altar and they, the pastor laid hands on me and she was like, uh, I feel that Muffin has a form of godliness, but not the real thing. And I left so hurt and confused because I've been doing everything that they told me to do. And the thought was like, how have I completely whitewashed myself to remove all sin from my life, yet I'm still hellbound? So, you know, really just realizing that that cycle never, there's no end to it. It's completely performance-based and nothing you could ever do will stop you from needing to perform. So I think just recognizing those signs are important, but... The thing is, it's really hard to pull someone out of a um, abusive situation, you know, whether it be a relationship, a ministry, a job, really the only thing that you can do to not, you know, just re-abuse them. Because back in the day, there were exit counselors that would essentially steal someone from one of these organizations and like re-brainwash them to go back to normal society. But we realized that wasn't helpful, obviously. (laughs) But now, you know, a lot of my clients who come in and maybe they do have loved ones that are still a part of these types of groups, modeling is like the most powerful thing you can do. Like modeling what healthy Christianity looks like, because that's what saved me, is seeing other people love God and seem freer than me. And then me wishing to have what they had. So, you know, really just modeling that. And pointing out 
um, discrepancy. So, you know, there are a lot of contradictions that are going to be said by someone who is a part of a a ministry like this because they're really battling with like what they know and then what they're being told. So being there to point out the contradictions is, is really important. Like, you know, you said this, but then you're telling me that they told you to do this. Well, what do you really want to do? So, you know, a lot like not really trying to come at them aggressively because automatically when we feel like something we love or are devoted to is being attacked, we're going to become defensive. And that's the last thing you want to do because that is going to give them all the more reason to cut you off. You know, and we're, you know, taught that doubt is really, it equates to having a demon. So if you become someone that seems as if they're doubting what that person's doing, they have even more, like I said, reason to cut you off. So really just being gentle and taking the opportunities that do present themselves to kind of get in there and give some sort of education or support. But other than that, really not being aggressive because honestly, they already have somebody abusing them. They don't need you to be pressuring them even more. You know, one of the things that I have uh, been interested in in watching the work that you've been doing, again, is this post-traumatic stress disorder piece, Mm -hmm. right? How that plays a role into this. And obviously, we have our own understanding. We think it's tied to military folks, you know, who's experienced war. Uh, Can you talk about the relationship between spiritual abuse and this area and uh, even how you came to a place of wholeness and how you're helping others to do the same? Yeah, of course. So I've actually, and I don't know that you knew that, well, I think you knew, but I'm actually clinically diagnosed with PTSD. So in addition to being a therapist, you know, battling my own mental wellness as we all are, but so this, this situation is one of many that fits into why um, I've been diagnosed. But generally, if somebody's going to be uh, attracted to a ministry of sorts, there are some predispositions that have happened. Like there's probably a trauma history prior to them becoming a part of this, unless it's someone that doesn't have any um, say-so in it. So a child, like I was a child at the time, but I mean, granted, based on what had happened to me prior to even coming to the church, I still could have very well chosen to do it on my own. But the way that I look at PTSD is trauma is anything that changes the way you see yourself, you see the world, or you see other people. And or really, it's probably going to be a combination of all three. So anytime we've had something happen in our lives that does one or one of the three of those things, that is a traumatic situation. It doesn't have to mean that you've been raped or that you've been in the military, which are, you know, what we generally hear PTSD being equated to. It's trauma can be anything. Something could traumatize you and not traumatize me and we'd be in the same room and see it happening simultaneously. So I just want people to know that trauma is very um, personalized and that if something has traumatized you, you don't need to run it past someone else to get confirmation that it happened because we all have different internal mechanisms and everything's going to impact us differently. So the way that trauma manifests itself, um, it could be a variety of different things. Maybe you're codependent. uh, Maybe you're a people pleaser. You really want to fix other people. uh, You have a fear of abandonment. You have the need to prove yourself. Um, you also might attract people who are narcissistic, you know, that, that could be a result of your trauma or even living on high alert. And that's something that my therapist actually helped me recognize that I do. The word she used was, um, I think she said hypervigilant or something along the, uh, along those lines, but really just like hypervigilant in relationships to make sure that 
I'm not putting myself in an unsafe situation. And what that means, you know, if unmanaged, somebody might not have any relationships and then they're isolated. And that's another risk factor for being in an abusive situation is the isolation that comes from that. So trauma can really manifest itself in a number of different ways. I have clients who, you know, are struggling at work. And then we dig deep into their histories and realize that, you know, something that happened in childhood is the reason why they can't exert themselves in their workplace and are wondering why they haven't got a promotion. But it's because you have trouble networking because your family told you that, you know, people were never going to be your friends or nobody's going to have your back. And you really hung on to that. So trauma, I mean, it, I, it's like a whack-a-mole, really. Like once you figure out how it's going to show up in one way, it comes up another way. And I think that's the important thing to realize, too, is when we're people who have had trauma histories, we're not going to ever get over it. I mean, because this is a part of your life. This is who you identify as. It's really all about managing it and learning how it displays itself. Well, you know, I'll tell you what, uh, this is so informative. And I think that just hearing you speak about it, it lets us know, one, that and all the leaders who are listening and folks who engage this platform understand that none of us are really exempt from something of this magnitude occurring in our lives. And I think it causes mm-hmm. us all to be aware of the touch points and areas of vulnerability, not only in ourselves, but in our children and our relatives and friends who may be susceptible to this kind of abuse. And it also points to the idea of the trauma that's associated with it that you know, it could be a, you know, extended state kind of trauma that we have to work through in terms of uh, constant therapy and working through it in a way that we're able to not just get freedom from the physical space where the trauma occurred, but from the emotional trauma and residue that, that occurs thereafter. I think the work that you're doing is admirable. I think that there are a variety of people out there, a lot of folks out there who really need this kind of help and support and what you have shared today has been just, you know, priceless. It has been, and to be honest and transparent about your own experience and to see you come to a place of incredible faithfulness and focus uh, spiritually. Uh, you know, I watch you and your husband early in the prayer services at our church, you know, together. And just when these kinds of things occur, it, it can you know, rattle our faith in, at some mm-hmm. point. So I'm just grateful that that has not occurred uh, in your life. And so I thank you so much. And I really appreciate uh, you sharing with our platform today. This has been so incredibly powerful. There's any last words you'd like to say to our listeners before we wrap this up. I give you an opportunity to say that now. Yeah. So, you know, God dropped this in my spirit the other day, and I think it was perfect timing since we had this interview coming up. But when something traumatic happens to you, There are two yields from that. So two lessons that could come out of it. There's a lesson that would protect you, which most people hang on to, such as I'm not going to go back to that church. I'm not going to um, be a Christian. I don't believe in God anymore. That's the one that will protect you. But then there's a lesson that will empower you. And God wants us to go for the higher one. I could have, you know, gotten out of this situation and denounced my faith in God. And I didn't. And it was because I knew that people hurt me, not God. And that meant for the next couple of years after, you know, I didn't go to church. I did really focus on how to build a relationship with him and learn who he was instead of who I was told he was. And I think that was my way of selecting the higher lesson instead of the one that would protect me. So that's that's what I want to leave people with is just consider, like, are you selecting that lower lesson, which is just the one that'll keep you out of danger? 
and further isolate you? Or are you going for the one that's really going to empower you and allow you to use your purpose to help transform other people? Wow, that is well said. And let's pray that all of our, our listeners will take the high road because people who misrepresent God certainly break God's heart as well. And yeah. for restoration and thank God that you've connected to a place of uh, that can constantly bring about a level of healing and, and affirmation for you in your process. Thank you so much for sharing with us here on Next Level Leader. And thank all of you for tuning in today. This has been so impactful. We appreciate you. And listen, if you're out there and you, you heard this and maybe you need some help, I'm certain you can reach out to uh, Dalicia and uh, Dalicia, tell them how they can contact you by email or whatever. Please share that. Yes. So my email is Dalicia, uh, which is not an easy name to spell, but <laughs> D-Y-L-E-S-I-A at E as in elephant, C as in cow, B as in boy, dash Nashville.org. And that's my private practice uh, email. So reaching me there or even via social media, uh, my Instagram handle is Dilesia Hampton Barner. And I'm always really responsive to messages. Well, we certainly appreciate that. And in this, in this day of, of telehealth, we can all reach out wherever we are around the world, wherever you're watching and listening from. Thank you so much. So thank all of you so much for tuning in to Next Level Leaders. I'm Dr. Joseph Warren Walker III, and I certainly thank you for being a part, and I hope you have been inspired. And until next time, we look forward to you sharing again on this wonderful podcast. God bless. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast. I want you to subscribe at iTunes, cpnshows.com, or whatever podcast or download it. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at josephwalker3. I look forward to connecting with you.